Welcome to the Yukon RUF podcast. RUF at Yukon is a ministry that relies completely on the financial support of churches and individuals like you in order to serve the Yukon community. You can support RUF at Yukon by going to ruf.org slash Yukon. I got that last time, so thanks for that this time, everybody. Um, yeah, it's good to see you all. You all know me. Um, I'm Taylor. I love being your intern. Um, this is my second time doing this. I'm super excited to do it again. Um, and yeah, I just hope you had a nice spring break. Uh, mine was really great. It was really low-key. That Friday when it was like 73 degrees or something, I feel like it was amazing. felt like the best weather of my life because of mm-hmm. Connecticut winters. Um, but yeah, so it was just a really good break. I hope yours was good, too. I know we have six weeks left of the semester, and that's exciting, but I also know that means a lot of stuff comes up. You have all your exams. Everything is due in the next six weeks. Um, and so Lucas, Sophie, and I, uh, we want to walk with you guys in that. Um, and we're just excited that the semester's coming to a close. The weather's warming up. Um, things are looking good. And as Lucas mentioned, if you've been to large groups this semester, you know we've been going through our series of books of the Bible. We just started at the first book of the Bible, and every week have been going through one. And so Lucas started us off uh, with the book of Genesis. After that kind of two-week weird online time, Um, And that, we learned in the book of Genesis, is where God made the world. And he made the world good. Um, And then when he made humans, um, they didn't didn't want that. And so what happened was is they sinned. And that led everything to fall under the curse of sin. Um, And then that resulted in them getting kicked out of the garden. But what's really then, what happens next is amazing. And really the story of the whole Bible, it's God was, he chased after them. He chased after his people. He worked and he worked to redeem all of his people, um, and it's amazing. And he started doing that by he chose a uh, family, and he said, you will be my people, and I will be your God, um, and I will show you how to live, and you will bless all the nations. Um, I will bless them through you. And so that was the book of Genesis. And then we saw Exodus, where this people, Israel, the Israelites, they were enslaved by Egypt. And in that book, God miraculously uses Moses, um, who he calls to lead the Israelites, he brings them out of slavery. Um, in a, in a really miraculous book, and he shows them, I will be your God and you will be my people. And then in the third book of the Bible, um, the book of Leviticus, we saw there how God's people learn how to live as his people, how to live set apart and holy because their God is holy. And then in the fourth book of the Bible, Numbers, we saw God's people rebel against him and all the, all the pain and suffering that that caused him when they weren't following the ways he had given them uh, to live. And then the fifth book of the Bible, Deuteronomy, which Lucas preached on just the week before spring break, there we saw Moses again admonishing the people of Israel, saying, remember what God has done for you, what your God, the Lord your God, has done for you. And also, when you come into this land that we're about to receive, do not become like the people there who worship false idols um, and commit terrible evil. And it's important to know kind of the context of this. At the end of the fifth book of Deuteronomy, or the first five books called the Law, the Torah, Um, We're now at the start of the book of Joshua, which is the sixth book of the Bible, which we'll look at tonight. And the people of Israel, the Israelites, they have been wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. And I don't know about you, but walking in a desert without a home for 40 years is a really long time. That's like almost as old as Lucas, so that's pretty... um, I just came up with that on the spot. That's pretty good. Um, And they're just outside the promised land. And so when we get to this passage, they're just outside this land that God had promised to their, their people all the way back in the book of Genesis. And he wanted to give them this land so that they could dwell there and they would have a place to worship the one true God, but also 
they would be able to be a nation that could spread God's blessing to other nations around them. And so I'm going to read our passage for us now, um, and then we'll jump in. It's the book of Joshua, starting right at the beginning, uh, chapter 1, verse 1 through 9. Uh, This is God's word. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I'm giving to them, to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, just as I promised to Moses. From the wilderness in this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites to the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses my servant commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do, to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened, and do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Amen. That's God's word. Let's take a second to pray, um, and then we'll jump in. Uh, Heavenly Father, I thank you for this day, and Lord, I thank you for the opportunity that you have given us to meet here tonight, um, all because of you, Lord, and all because of your son and what uh, you have done for us, your people. I ask that you would be with me tonight as I speak, and that you would help my words be clear, and Lord, that your love would shine through um, what I say, and that you would just magnify the Bible um, in your love and who you are in our hearts and minds this evening. Father, I thank you that none of us have it all together. Uh, not one of us, but we're all here broken, and you welcome us nonetheless. Um, so I just ask you would be with us uh, this evening and, not, and beyond, and that you would keep us safe and you would keep us near to you. And I pray this in your son's Jesus' name. Amen. So all of you know Franny, my awesome wife, sitting right there. And there's probably a good of you actually have heard, a good amount of you have heard this story before, because I love to brag on Franny. Um, she's very impressive to me. And I love to brag on her. When she was eight years old, you can actually Google this. It's really cool. Maybe I'll show you after. When Franny was eight years old, she became the youngest girl ever to swim from Alcatraz to San Francisco in California, kind of by the Golden Gate Bridge. So she was eight years old. And this is a 1.5 mile long swim in like super cold Northern California waters. There's a really strong current that will like push you kind of, is pushing out into the ocean, into the bay. Um, and the whole event I need to mention too, it's called Shark Fest. And if you know anything about me, you know I am very afraid of sharks. Like, kind of funny story too. One time, Franny and I were swimming in Santa Barbara, and I was, it was in the ocean, and I was swimming so close to land that when I would like swim, I would scoop the sand because I was so scared that there was going to be a shark coming to chomp me. But Franny, at eight years old, swam in this event called Shark Fest. And she was so small, they didn't even make uh, wetsuits that would fit her size. So she had to have a custom-made wetsuit at age eight to do this swim, something no girl her age had ever done before. And I think it's safe to say that in many ways the odds were against Franny in this. And I've heard her tell this story several times, and it's always so cool to hear her tell it. And every time she says it, she always mentions that she doesn't think she would have been able to do it without her dad. Her dad swam right next to her the entire time. He made sure they didn't get off track with the current. He said, hey, Franny, 
you know, if you get worried about the sharks, they wouldn't want little eight-year-old you, like a little snack like you. They'd want a meal like me. And her dad's like six, five. And stuff. They would want me. And that calmed Franny. I'm at eight years old, which is really cool. And I really think what it was is it was the presence of her father being with her that entire time and the trust that she had in her dad that entire swim that gave her the courage to be able to attempt something that even though the odds seemed against her, no one had ever done it at her age. Her father being with her is what gave her the courage to even attempt it. And I think that story is really helpful for us as we try to understand this passage and what's going on here um, at the start of the book of Joshua. As I said, these people have been wandering in the desert for 40 years. That's a long time. I imagine you'd be probably weary um, if that happened to us. And they were just outside this land that God had promised to them. And so there's this kind of this climactic moment we're at in the Old Testament. And like Franny Swim, we can see also that this was no easy task for the Israelites, for the people that were outside this promised land. The odds were against them too. As we can see in verse 2, their leader for the past 40 years, Moses, has died. And he was the one who led them out of slavery. Um, He was God's chosen person to lead them. And he has died, so God calls Moses, who is his second in command, Joshua, to now lead God's people. And we first see Joshua um, kind of come to scene in the book of Exodus, where he leads God's people to a military victory. And then we see again in the book of Numbers, um, we see... Moses, when he was still alive, sent 12 spies into this promised land, this land that God had said, I will give to you, my people, the Israelites. And so in that book, we read a story where Moses sent 12 spies, Joshua being one of them, into this land to kind of scope out the land and to see, okay, what do these people's armies look like, their numbers, their defenses, and even just like the land and stuff for farming. What does it look like? Kind of what are we up against? And these spies all come back, Joshua being one of them. And almost all of them say, it's too much. We can't do it. We literally cannot do this. And it's important to remember, these are people who wanted this land. They've been nomads in the desert. I would want a home after that. And so they, they want this land, and God's promised it to them. But they say, there's no way we can do this. Like, it is, the people are physically bigger than us. They have defenses we don't have. They have just the number of them, their armies and stuff. It's way too much for us. We literally can't do this. And so I think reading this now, hopefully we see, and I think even then more to the people of this day, this would have been crazy. What God was calling them to do would have seemed really crazy to them. Okay, God, you want us, you're telling us to do this thing and you want us to do this, but it seems really crazy. It seems insane, actually, what God is calling them to do. And so I think that begs the question, well, how are they going to do it? And I think looking at verses three and five, uh, we get our answer. In verse three, God says they will do it because he has promised to Moses that this will be their land. And in verse 5, we get this amazing promise. I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. God is telling Joshua here that they, the Israelites, will inherit this land, not because of what they have done or will do, but because of what God has promised and because of what God will do that will give them this vast land that they do not deserve. Uh, That's why it's called the promised land, because God promised to give it to them, and God keeps his promises. And if you're like me, though, you might seem, okay, I can understand that God promised to give them this land, but... It still seems like they all know we can't take this land. It's too, it's too much for us to do. And so how, how could this work? How could this happen? And I think if we look in verse 3 and 5 again, we can, we can see our answer. Uh, verse 3, God says, just as I promised to Moses. And in verse 5, he says, just as I was with Moses. Twice here, God calls upon his past faithfulness to assure Joshua and Israel of his future provision and faithfulness. God calls upon his past faithfulness. And I think this is a really big theme in the first five books of the Bible that we've seen, but really in the whole Bible. 
of where God always calls on what he's done in the past, his past faithfulness and how he has kept those promises as he asks for trust and obedience when he makes future promises. I think that's a really, really helpful way to kind of see a lot of the Bible. And another way I say that is God shows his past promises fulfilled as he asks for trust in his future promises that will be fulfilled. We know at this time that God has done so much for the Israelite people. He has brought them out of slavery. He's provided for their every need for 40 years as they wandered in the desert, even turning against him so often. And now he has brought them to the edge of this great land that he promised them. And it is in those promises fulfilled that we can look to verse 7 to see his call to them. God says, be strong and courageous and follow the law that Moses commanded. And you know what that law is? That's the first five books of the Bible. That's what Lucas has spent this whole semester taking us through, the law, the first five books of the Bible. And what's happening here is really, really interesting to me. Instead of God saying, you know, God isn't saying, oh, Joshua, go lift weights when he says be strong, right? God is not saying, oh, you guys need to go lift weights you Israelite people. And he's not even saying, okay, go and grow the size of your military, grow in your, just train more, kind of get ready for battle more. He's not even saying, oh, go spy more on the land and the nations that live there so you can know kind of what's going to happen. God actually doesn't say to do any of that. Instead, he says something really radical. He says, read the Bible. He tells them to read the Bible because from that will flow trust, strength, and courage from what lies ahead. It's in the Bible where these people and us, we can read about what we've been talking about tonight, which is God's faithfulness to his promises, no matter how it looks in the moment. And we see at the end of verse eight, that if they follow the laws and way of life God has set for his people, it will make their way prosperous and they will have good success. God is asking them to put their trust in him. God is asking for obedience here and obedience to his ways, plans, and provision because God's ways, plan, and provisions are always perfect. And this is radically different from what I think many people, and even us, can think of when we think of Christianity. Instead of a God who demands that we get our act together or that we have a certain checklist before he'll love us, God just asks us to trust him. And instead of wanting our obedience for his own gain, God asks for obedience because it says in verse 7, it is for our own good success. This is really important, I think. It is for our good It is for our good that we follow what God has given us in the Bible. I know this can be pretty confusing and counterintuitive and often just seem like, yeah, but can I really trust this? I think the Israelite people at the time were, can I really trust this though? Can I really trust what God is saying is right and that that will bring me good success? Um, I remember in college, I got to live with my two best friends um, and one of them was a data science major and the other was a chemistry major at the time, which are hard majors at Berkeley and I'm sure they are at UConn too. And our senior year of college, they, they were like, you know, we want to really radically try and follow, follow God and trust what he says to do. And one of those things was is to take rest, to take a day of rest to worship the Lord, to give that time and devote it to God. And so they did that. They tried their best to do that and to put aside their work, their school, and have a day to go to church to rest and to worship God. And what happened was amazing. I saw them. These are my best friends. I got to live with them. I saw the ways their relationships with me and with others and with God changed. I saw the ways they had so much more energy for the rest of the week to go and live and do schoolwork, let alone have energy for other things besides school. And you know what else? They also graduated. They did a really good job in school. They graduated. They're killing it now. And I think if they were here, they would tell you that that rest was so important and helpful for them. 
even if in the moment it seemed like the worst thing. It seemed like every other student in Berkeley or at college was getting ahead while they were resting. Even if that's what it seemed like, following God's law for them absolutely was for their good. It was for their best. Take a sip of water. All right, so we've been looking at what Israel is facing and God's call to follow him. And now I want to spend some more time in thinking about what it means for us to trust God, uh, to be strong and courageous as we trust God. As I've been thinking about this passage a lot recently, preparing for this, I thought about what that has meant in my own life, um, kind of recently in my personal life, and also when I moved here to Connecticut almost two years ago. I was part of RUF in college. I went to college 30 minutes from where I grew up in the Bay Area, like some of you who live, or your families live close to Yukon. And I loved RUF, and so I wanted to do the job Sophie and I do, which is be an RUF intern. And in that process, they kind of say, hey, where would you like, you know, do you have any preferences of where you'd like to go? And I was like, oh, I think I'm some hotshot. They'll place me at a nice school, like UC Santa Barbara, like pretty close in California, keep me by the beach on the West Coast or whatever. That's just what I assumed. And that was funny because my campus minister said, oh, you're going to Yukon. And I was like, oh, Yukon, I've heard of that. What does that stand for? And I was like, I, my first question was, where is Connecticut? Literally, it's like, on a map, I actually don't know where Connecticut was, which is really funny. And now I do, and I love it. Um, but at the time, I was like, oh, man, this is really scary. I, was, I, I felt excitement for this opportunity, but I also felt so much fear of how on earth am I going to do this? How am I going to move across the country from my family, from Franny, from everything I've ever known, which my life was like kind of in a 30-minute bubble, to a... a, to a state that I've never been with no one that I've ever met living in that state. And that was really scary for me. And, you know, at times as I've lived here, I felt like I was kind of wandering in the desert in Connecticut. But in that time gearing up to move here, and ever since I moved here, so often I tell myself, and I remember, or I, I guess I would say I remind myself that God is faithful and God is near to his promises to me. And that I can be strong and courageous, but it's because God is, is near. He's close to me. And there are times when it's still hard. Life is really hard. Living in a two-year-plus pandemic is really hard. Connecticut winters are really hard for somebody who's from California like me. Um, and it's also it's hard living in a place where it seems like very few people are Christian. Uh, it's hard living in a place where when I'm, at, I'm on campus, and this is my job, I'll be reading my Bible and I can feel often like awkward about reading my Bible in public or on campus. I can feel kind of weird about it. Um, I even can feel weird when often when I tell somebody else that I'm a Christian. That makes me feel weird. I can kind of, I can be afraid. And it's so encouraging to me, and I hope it's so encouraging to us to see that the Bible's answer to this feeling, these feelings that we can have, is to be strong and courageous because God will never leave us. And I think that is so key. Now, I want us to think about where in our lives, I want you to think about where in your life God is calling you to be strong and courageous. I'd encourage you now, tonight, um, in this coming week, to think about where God is calling you to follow him, but with the strength and courage that he gives. So key. I know that none of us have literally been in a desert for 40 years, and also hopefully none of us are preparing to take over land or anything like that, but I do think this passage so still applies to us. It has so much to give us. Maybe it's your current calling as a college student. I think it's, it's really important to see that your, your life right now as a college student is where God has called you to be right now in your specific major at this specific time um, at UConn. And I wonder what faithfulness would look like, what you think faithfulness would look like to God as you're a college student. As that's what God's called you to do. 
maybe it could be what my best friends did in college, which is going against the grain of what seemingly every college student does and say, I'm going to intentionally take a day to rest and devote that time uh, to God. Or maybe it's, I'm going to give my version of the future and comfort and success and a good life, and I'm going to trust what God says uh, is good. What God says will be for my flourishing, which will mean radically sacrificing your time for others. That will mean loving God above yourself and others. Maybe this passage is a call to be patient, to be strong and courageous in being patient with your roommate who seems to always leave your room a mess or wake you up at random times or the room next to you who has a sports gambling problem and uh, is really loud. I'm thinking of Bryce here. You should ask him. He has some pretty crazy stories about the guy who lives uh, next to him. And Bryce is extremely patient with that. Maybe it's being strong and courageous and having the humility to say sorry when you're wrong. I know that's a huge one for me. One of the hardest things in my life is admitting I was wrong, saying sorry, and asking for forgiveness. And I think it takes a lot of courage uh, to admit when you're wrong and to say sorry. Maybe finally, this was a big one for me too in college. It was finally resting in who God had made me, how and who God had made me to be in the unique ways he had made me, and resting and rejoicing in that. And I hope we're beginning to see that God's call in our life is over every aspect of our life. God doesn't want to be a part of most of us, but we, I want to hold on to what's going to happen with my future, my money, or my relationships. God wants to be involved in every aspect of our lives, whether it's your work or your rest, your family, your school, or your money. And we've seen this semester how God's, God's people in the Old Testament are called to be different. Their love of God and love of his law should change them so that others see how they live and are pointed back to the goodness of the Lord because of that. And that applies to us too, and what a gift that it does. It's, it's such a gift. It is a gift to know the love of God and to spend time with him in his word and prayer. And I also know it can be really scary to obey God, to trust this. As the Israelites were, I'm sure, scared. I know I can be scared, and I bet for you too, it can be really scary to say, God, I'm going to trust you with my life. If we really tried to follow everything that God calls us, his people too, I think it would be really scary And I think that's okay. Thinking about radically giving my time to others, sacrificially serving the poor, giving my money away, forgiving people and resting. Those seem so scary. But I think that's what God calls us to do. And this is where the gospel just so clearly speaks in, friends. Just like the Israelites couldn't do it without the Lord, we can't either. And it's so important to remember, God never calls us to do something that he won't be with us in. The ultimate promise that God fulfilled was that he would save his people. And he did this in the person and work of Jesus. Jesus came not just to lead his people, like Joshua did, but to die for them. Jesus did the hardest thing ever, ever imaginable. He lived the life we can't live and died the death that we deserve so he could have us forever. I could never be strong or courageous enough to carry the weight and the sins of the world on my shoulders. But Jesus did. Do you know the only time ever that God's promise to never leave or forsake wasn't true? It was on the cross. Uh, Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because he was alone. Jesus was alone there so that we could know that we will never be alone. Jesus' resurrection is the greatest assurance we could ever have that God's promises to us will come true. And that he will be faithful to every single one of them. 
Verse 9 is true for you today, tomorrow, and forever, that the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Thinking back to Franny's swim with her dad, it was her dad being with her that gave her the courage to do that. At any moment, I know her dad, at any moment he would have done anything in his power to protect her, to pull her out of the water, to keep her on course, whatever. And that's the same with God for us, friends. We always have God by our side. The good news is, of Christianity is because of Jesus, we can go out into the world loving God and following his laws, being strong and courageous because he will be our strength. He will give us courage because he keeps his promises. And you know what happens at the end of this book, at the end of the book of Joshua, I love it, is we see Joshua and Israel having received the promised land. Against all odds, God kept his promise. Joshua chapter 23, verse 14 reads this. I absolutely love this verse, and I want to read it. It says, and now, this is Joshua speaking, and now I'm about to go the way of all the earth, and you know in your hearts and souls, all of you, that not one word has failed of all the good things that the Lord your God promised concerning you. All has come to pass for you. Not one of them has failed. What we see in Joshua and in the whole Bible is a God who makes promises and a God who keeps promises. God was faithful to Joshua and he will be faithful to us too. Let's pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your faithfulness to all the generations. We thank you for your faithfulness to us tonight um, in bringing us here and calling us to yourself, Jesus, and you doing everything so that we can know you. Father, I thank you, I thank you, I thank you just for this, uh, this evening. And I ask that you would be with us in the rest of our time together and when we depart. We pray this all in your name, Jesus. Amen.